number of years ago, when we were first exploring different measures of understanding as the spirit of truth was guiding us in, in the study of the word, uh, we were looking at the rudimentary um, explorations into grace. And it was pointed out by a number of people that um, rejoicing in the Scripture, in the New Testament, was a, uh, a word that was linguistically connected and ingrained into the word that we translate as grace. And we talked about Thanksgiving also being um, a part of that and other ramifications of it. And that, that, was a, that was a good insight and certainly something that we saw. And um, I'm, I'm grateful for that foundation of uh, not only that insight, but so many other insights that have guided us throughout the, the years. Um, but over this past week and a half, the Lord has really been nudging me about the topic of rejoicing and how uh, really what, what it is in this discussion of grace and how important it is. It's like a, it's like a catalyst that really... a catalyst that somewhat sparks not only the continuation of grace in its progress, but the, the end result of grace, which is the accomplishment of what God has been wanting to do. And, you know, you, you see how important praise and confidence is in the progression of promise, sila, and fulfillment in that in that sila moment, you see how important it is to have that musical expression and that resolve of uh, the chord progression that then brings a measure of release. And we, we also remember that, um, you know, the ways of God, His light and His sound are all in the same expressive continuum. And so what we how we express ourselves in the song of grace is, is crucial to the pathway of grace. Now, I want to also say that when you talk about rejoicing, it's not just having a, it's not just having a, a, good, a good outlook on life. You know, there are some people that... I knew a lady one time, her name was Sally Lindholm, when I was growing up. She's probably gone on to be with the Lord by now. But that woman was continually delighted. She's a very intelligent woman, but she just was always that way. And I would think, how is, how is that? And I remember one time there was a catastrophic thing that happened in their family, and she had a, a big gathering in her home. Her husband was a dentist, and she, it was like she had just won the lottery. And, and I, I marveled at that. But I, I'm not just talking about people that just have an outlook that's always bright and shiny. I'm talking about this rejoicing being an offshoot of our partnership in grace. And there's a difference in those things. 
There's, there's a difference in those things. And I think that rejoicing is what bitterness corrupts. Bitterness is corrupted rejoicing because failed grace yields the root of bitterness. And so we need to, we need to view this as we're looking through this scripture as, as being rejoicing in that linguistic root of grace is something that we're going to see not only today, but also on Wednesday evening, we're going to see how important it is to the flow of grace. And again, it's just not a mindset. It's, it's not even an, an, an appreciation of the, of the target of grace. It's not, it's not even that. Those things have to exist alongside this. But, but rejoicing is really a perspective of confidence in what God has said and what, he, what he's going to do throughout, what, throughout the things that, that may be happening that are, that are disgusting. There, there, are, there are words, scriptures that I didn't list because there are many examples of this. Paul the Apostle said this a lot of times. He said, one, for instance, one verse that I didn't include. Though I am in sorrow, I rejoice. And though I am in weakness, I rejoice. And it's not just mind over matter. It's not just having a right attitude, even though that's always good, because as we've said before, it's, it's your attitude, not your aptitude, that will determine your altitude. Write that down, Denise. Um, but but it's, it's embracing your partnership with God in grace, having an understanding of what he's wanting to do, being in partnership with him, gleaning with him, but also having an expression, the song of grace, that rejoicing that kind of opens the stage. Now, we're going to look at these scriptures, but I, I want to continue to, to dwell on this for a second. Because we know that when we partner with grace, it's one of the seven spirits of God, and it's the one where God is the only one that is connected with a type of intercession. And it's really God making himself vulnerable to us, to, to welcome us in, that we would partner with him, to hear his heart, and to pray as, in supplication as a, as a partner with him. It's very different. It's, it's, it's really seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things be added to you. And I was thinking about how we, we, we walk with God in that. And, and when we're in his ways of grace, how does the mind of Christ function? And it, it, it's very clear. It's very interesting. Because you're in grace. That's kind of your pastoral positioning. That's, that's, you're there. You're in, the, you're in the heart of God. You're in the house of God. And so you, you are communing with him in, according to his mysteries. You are giving to him those things that he created you to be and to do. And you are also, um, you're also looking, uh, and, and you remember, that, that's the pastoral thing. You've got You've got diversities of tongues, you've got your giftings be developed, and you've got the timing of God. So all three of those things are happening in that place of grace, that place of commune with God. 
and you emerge from that with understandings, which is the teacher seer. You always emerge from a supplication time with insights. May not be all the insights you want, but you recognize after a while that they're all that you need. And you go with what God gives, not what you wish he had given. And through that then, you gain prosuke, you gain prosuke and you are declaring the things prophetically that God has shown. And, and you're, you're speaking those forward. Now, remember that the evangelist, uh, there are three things you want to say about that. Number one, the word itself is euangelion, which means you are a messenger bearing good tidings of the purpose of God. That's what an evangelist should do. And that is a key framework of rejoicing. Also, the evangelist speaks about a grace remedy, something that God is going to do that's going to bring forward the work of grace and also bring function, mighty works, dunamis. So that is really the framework. The evangelistic framework of that partnership in grace is rejoicing. You are proclaiming not just the statements, which is prosuke prophetically, but you, you have, I dare say, well, bought into the program. You recognize this is what I'm doing. You, you, you then are rejoicing in what God has said, the whole process. It's different than just simply having an insight or an understanding or a framework. Those are important too. But to really be ebullient about it, to be rejoicing in it, is a, is a necessity. It's, it's something that um, is, is really important. I think that's part of why what happened when Paul and Silas were singing at midnight in, in the darkest part of the day, in the deepest part of the prison. And um, it, it, it brings about a measure of victory. It's a, it's a triumph. And then, of course, you come into the apostolic thing, which is the accomplishment. It's the thanksgiving. It's the Eucharistia. It's look what God has done in accordance with his ways. We give thanks regarding this, and we use this as a setting, uh, a setting of the stage to move forward. And so when you are partnering with God in grace, you, you are not halfway in grace. You can't be halfway in grace any more than you can ha be halfway pregnant. You can't be halfway in grace any more than you can be halfway in the sunrise. I mean, it's coming one way or the other. And when you partner with grace, you're in. You're not just dabbling in it. You're not just playing around with it for a while till something better comes along. It, you, you can't really abort grace. You can fail in grace, and then all of these things then become perverted, and it becomes a root of bitterness. All of these good things I just mentioned can provide a, 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 a demonic fertilize for a root of bitterness. And, and instead of rejoicing, you're just expressing vile and bile, and you're, you're just aggravated, and you corrupt everybody around you. Many are defiled. And we don't want that. And uh, I, I don't want to fail in grace. But you, and the way you don't fail in grace is you don't give up. And there are some times where you are in the middle of a seal of grace and you wonder, Lord, did we miss the turn? You know, where are you? What's going on? But it's God saying, wait, I will wait on the Lord. 
If, I, I dare say, if you are committed to grace, you're, 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 you're committed, and God sees you, and he, he loves you. But those five things, which are indicative of the mind of Christ, will, will emerge, and God's been teaching us about every one of them. You know, he's been teaching us about supplication. He's, he's taught us the fivefold. He's, he's been teaching us about prosuke and making de declarative words, the deesis, understanding things. He's been teaching us about this. And it really is that he's been teaching us concerning what the mind of Christ has to be when you're partnering with God in grace. And to look back on that and see it, it's an astounding thing. But with all of that understanding... And with all of that insight, and with all of that wonderful truth from his word, with all of those things, we have need of really receiving this measure of rejoicing. Because it is a key ingredient. It's a key ingredient in the partnership of grace. It's not just being, you know, like I remember during, during the 70s in the faith movement, you know, everybody was so afraid uh, who were embracing that, that somehow they'd get crossways in faith. You know, I didn't have enough scriptures, or I didn't have enough faith. And, you know, and, 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 you know it, it's, not, it's not that you're trying to rejoice to participate in something. It's not that you, you recognize, like the Justin Wilson recipe, that you've got to have a dab of rejoicing. Look at that. That's just right there in the palm of my hand. That's just a dab. Do you know who I'm talking about, the Cajun cook? He used to be on on Channel 13, and he would cook, and he'd tell funny Cajun stories, and he could measure things in his hand, and in any port, and it would just be exact. He was really, look him up, not while I'm preaching, but look him up, and um, it's kind of funny, but Rejoicing is, 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 a, is something that I think God is releasing to us. It's different from your prosuke, prophetic declaration. It's different from you being convinced or committed. It's, it's a different thing. It is, it is an expressive mindset that has power. And so it is, as I said, Cairo, uh, to rejoice in accordance with grace. Um, Charis is, is grace. And some people say, well, how did you pronounce that? If you look in, if you look in, in Strong's or one of your punch and, punch and pronounce things, it'll say Cairo. But if you say that fast, i.e., i.e., you, you come to like Isai, Cairo. And, and that's, that's what a Kairos moment is. But you're really pronouncing it right. You're just, you're just, saying it like a local, and um, I, I'm grateful. It's kind of like in French, you know, you can be pronouncing things, uh, reading it off the page, but the people don't understand what you're saying because you're not saying it like they pronounce it. So I just want to clarify to any of you who think that we've been butchering this name, that it is really the way it's said. But Cairo is uh, to rejoice in accordance with grace. And this is this is inserted in so many key passages of grace. Like, for instance, Luke 1, uh, when Gabriel came to visit Mary. Let's read this, verse 28. The angel came in unto Mary and said, Hail, thou art highly favored. It was kind of funny because I remember I was in a, in a choir in Springfield, Missouri, Queen City of the Ozarks, headquarters of the Assemblies of God. And we were singing, and they brought in these... Uh, 
it was a Christmas thing, and they brought in these these directors from headquarters, and they were all going to get up and make some some proclamation. And there was one old guy that had this scripture to read, but he was from the part of the country that he didn't say hail the way we would say hail. He pronounced it hell. And so he stood up there in Central Assembly of God in Springfield, and he said, hell, Mary. <laughs> and all of us who had heard him say this all the time, we were just kids, and it was just too funny to me. It was just too funny. So every time I read this, I think of that old guy saying, Hail Mary. Of course, then I came to Dallas, and I recognized what Hail, Hail Mary really meant, you know, from Roger Staubach. But I'm just kind of whining today. Fran, how you let me do this? I don't know. I'm just roaming around here. I better get back on topic. Hail, thou art highly favored, and that's grace. The Lord is with you. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for you have found favor, grace, with God. So here is Gabriel. He recognizes that this is a measure of grace that is coming. Uh, <clears throat> it is promotion for mankind into the new covenant. Jesus is coming with grace and truth. And that's the whole measure of what he's saying. And how he begins it as an angel, a euangelion, is he says, hail, and this is the word for rejoice. This is Cairo. And so he begins his pronouncement with that. And you find many, many times in the New Testament that a greeting that was spoken by the disciples to churches was Cairo. In fact, when Paul and Silas were going to go Fourth, um, the, the brothers wrote a letter. It says it in the book of Acts. They wrote a letter of greeting to kind of like a, a letter to, 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 that they could present to churches so that these guys would, you know, couldn't call them. You know, they couldn't Skype or do a FaceTime with them. So they sent a letter, and they began the letter, according to what the book of Acts says, with this word. This is an extension of grace. This is something that's coming. And we, we're not only giving our, uh, our uh, pledging our devotion to the credibility of these guys, but we're happy about the fact that they're coming. Grace is coming with them. I like that. That's, that's a tremendous thing. But this is how Gabriel begins this triumphant declaration to Mary about grace, but he, he says rejoicing. And I... I just think that's tremendous. It's the mindset of the angelic. You know, we said we're just coming out of uh, another year where we honored the, uh, the, the fast of feasting. And we said when you do that, uh, that you are really aligning yourself to think like the angelic, like the Lord of hosts. You, you are aligning yourself to, to partner with the angelic. And, you know, we've said this in the past. Many times when you're around the angelic, they just, they just are made to believe that whatever God says is going to be, and that seasons their confidence. That seasons their proclamation. And, um, you know, sometimes I would see them even looking upon me or in various situations, you could see there was some, I don't want to say perplexing, but you could see in their countenance that they, they were not grasping how with this great thing that God is doing, how us as humans 
really weren't moving in this rejoicing in the way that they are. Because rejoicing is not just exuberance. Rejoicing is the, the atmosphere of grace. And, you know, you, and you can have an understanding of grace. You can have directives of grace. You can even be committed in grace and not be walking in the atmosphere of grace. So we really have to ask God for this. Look at this passage that is very well known. It's at the end of the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 and 12, and it's the Lord Jesus. And, and it, it really gives a, a, a directive for prophetic identity. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. I think we've seen that progression. <laughs> Rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Rejoice here. There you are. Uh, you're moving forward in grace. And all these things that are happening, just know that you are a prophetic voice in God. And you, you have to have that atmosphere of grace. You have to encourage yourself in it. It reminds me of what uh, is said about the fast of feasting, where everyone speaks truth to his neighbor. Everyone has to say this in the gate. And I firmly confess that with the weight of what God has given to us over the years with the different influences and flow patterns of things that have affected us, I've not always been good at this. In fact, I've just downright failed in this. I confess that. But you know what? You take the burden of what God has given for the nations, the way he's put it on us, and you feel that, that weight all the time, and you know, you, you may not do it real well either. But I believe that God is really releasing an anointing for us to walk in, in an atmosphere of rejoicing. Does that say we're not ever going to fail? No. It's no sin to say ouch. But, but it's, it's something that, um, that you have to, to know. And I think that your anchor is the fact that you're committed and you're not going anywhere. You're committed and you're not drop-kicking. The problem is when you, when you aren't committed and you decide that you're going to go another pathway, but you can't, won't admit that the things you said God was calling you to do, now he's changed his mind. So you've got to find some excuse for it. You've got to find some way to blame somebody else so that you don't look like you're failing God. That's how bitterness comes. And then you start picking apart things. You deconstruct rejoicing. And you are, you're done. God still loves you. I don't ever want to be in that position. So the saving grace is that you say, <clears throat> in all these things, I am not moved. I am standing in grace. And God will look on that. And God will help you. And sometimes you have to fail. Um, you have to fail a number of times before you, you get it. I remember, I don't know if any of you saw the movie about uh, recently about Edison and Westinghouse, and the conflict they had. It was really a good movie. It was factual. And um, they were talking this well-known thing to Edison about him creating the light bulb and, and how many times they failed 
before he came up with, with one. And he said, how do you encourage your people when one after one after one, you just keep failing in this? And he said, well, we, we just had to realize that we knew what we were going to accomplish, and every one of those that were deemed failure was a point of learning as to how not to do it. And I think we've, <laughs> we've had a lot of those. I firmly admit, I've, I'm a master at failure. And that's one of the nice things that, that uh, if you're a prophet, you, you die. Uh, I've died daily. But um, Jesus says, in the midst of that, you rejoice. Now, we want to talk uh, about the Father and what Jesus is saying about this in some very important, well, that's not a good phrase because all the word's important, some very strategic passages for this topic. The first is in Luke chapter 10, verses 18 through 24. And the Lord said to them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Notwithstanding in this rejoice, there's our word, in this rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. What is he saying there? You're going to go out and you're going to bring light into the darkness. You're going to take control of, of the things of the kingdom in the place of where the enemy has ruled. But your rejoicing is not in those actions. Your rejoicing is not in those strategic points. But your rejoicing is at the heart of the matter that your name is written in heaven, that you have an authority to do this in partnering with grace. So rejoice there. Your rejoicing is not based upon whether you had a, a good day or whether you've put some, some knocks on the enemy or whether you had a great evangelistic campaign. Your rejoicing is not rooted in actions. Your rejoicing is rooted in identity. Your rejoicing is, is, is rooted in that partnership with God where he has proclaimed you as his representative. And your name is his name. And that's what you rejoice in. And so that's what he says. But look at this. In that hour, Jesus rejoiced in spirit. Now this is that other word for rejoicing that means to leap up, spin around. And look, Jesus rejoiced in spirit. In his spirit. Why is that? And he's going to say something prolific, but let's just talk about that. Remember, as we taught recently about the spirit God puts in us, how our spirit prays, how that is born again. And at the end of our term on this earth, that spirit goes back to God, just as it did. Jesus gave up the ghost. And, you know, why did Jesus jump up? And why did his spirit leap? Kind of like when John's spirit leaped when... He, he heard the voice of Mary when he was in the womb of Elizabeth. Because that's why Jesus came. That was his assignment. His assignment for, was what he just talked about, and this measure of grace, the union of the Father with the sons again, uh, the, the humanity being brought back to God, and then them functioning as partners in the way God wants. Jesus' spirit rejoiced in that. 
And I, I love that. It's just, it's just phenomenal to me. And look what he says then. I thank you, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth. You have hid these things from the wise and prudent. You've delivered and revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for it seemed good in your sight or your ways. All things are delivered to me of my Father. No man knows who the Son is but the Father, and who the Father is but the Son, and he to whom the Son will reveal him. He, and he turned unto his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes which see the things that you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings have desired to see those things which you see and have not seen them, and to hear those things which you hear and have not heard them. Look at this again. Jesus is saying, you're going to go out and you're going to be the representatives of the Father and of the throne on this earth. The devils are going to be subject to you on behalf of what God has commissioned you to do. Your rejoicing in grace is not because of any of these activities, as glorious as they may be. Your rejoicing in grace is because the Father has written your name in heaven. And when he said that, the spirit of our Lord Jesus leapt and really did that circular expression of the chul because that was his mission. And I'm grateful that as he was describing it, he spoke about rejoicing. He spoke about this expression of that confidence in your partnership in grace. And, and it's, it really is that measure that we have to glean in God to release in the midst of all the other good things that God shows us about grace. Look at this next passage passage in John 14 verse 28 the father is greater now I titled this subheading this heading as the father the first is your name is written in heaven the second is the father is greater or maison you've heard how I said unto you I go away and come again to you but if you really were functioning in agape you would rejoice there's our word because I said, I go unto the Father, for my Father is greater than I. My Father, Maison, that is that, that ability. This is the greater things will you do because I go to my Father. There is an extension of the Father for all of creation, and He is coordinating all of it. He has ordained it all, and when I go to my Father, this is going to be available to you, so rejoice if you really are functioning in the agape of God, where you love the ways of God, you love his heart, you've committed to what he wants to do, rejoice that atmosphere of grace because I'm going to him and he's going to release this capacity for the greater works. That's astounding. And in the middle of it, you would rejoice. This expression of grace, this attitude of grace, this enunciation of grace, not just proclaiming, but it's a mindset. And you can see how this is, is essential because when you're moving in grace, doubt's going to come, your mind is going to come. Uh, and as Jack Hayford said, I give a, a credit to him, the only problem with a living sacrifice is it always wanting to crawl off the altar. 
And, you know, you have to, you have to, the mind is at enmity with the things of the Spirit. You have to keep putting the mind in check and you bathe it in rejoicing. Because if you're not careful, you can start questioning, you can, you can get weary and, and bitter. And, and I, again, I'm speaking to you as someone who knows exactly how to do that. But I'm telling you that God is releasing a measure. And I think that one of the reasons is where we're going and what we're going to be asked to do in these days, even the doors we know that God has opened just for this new year, we have to have all of these functionalities of grace for us to triumph. And so look, look what else he says. Um, John 16, verse 21. A woman, when she is in travail, has sorrow because her hour has come. But as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembers no more the anguish for joy. And that's chara, which is another derivative. It's kind of like, oh, how do you, what's the difference between rejoicing and joy? Joy is kind of the mindset. Rejoicing is the expression of that mindset. Um, for the joy that a man is born into the world. And you now, therefore, have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart shall rejoice, and your joy no man takes from you. In that day you'll ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you that whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it you. Hitherto you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you shall receive that your joy may be full. These things I've spoken unto you in Proverbs, but the time comes when I shall no more speak unto you in Proverbs, but I will show you plainly of the Father. At that day you shall ask in my name, and I say not unto you that I will pray the Father for you, for the Father himself loves you, because you've loved me and have believed that I came out from God. I came forth from the Father and am come into the world again. I leave the world and go to the Father. What a statement, and doesn't this Describe what you've given your life to. <laughs> uh, gosh, I remember way back when, it seems so, it's like what, was, what Les was saying about prophetic worship this morning in Sunday school. I think we in this, the Father's Church, um, we forget what it was like when we first started talking about the Father. It was like, so many, it was such a foreign concept to so many in, in the general church that they almost thought we were being unfaithful to Jesus. I remember having lots of statements said to me, you know, I'd like to hear a whole lot, lot more about Jesus. Or, you know, um, you know I, I don't know, you, you can walk with the Father, I'd rather walk with Jesus. And I'm thinking, the heart of what Jesus said is this. He is with us. But it's all about the Father. It just is. He redeemed us to the Father. He gave that sacrifice for the Father. And they are one. But the whole point of this is that this is describing you partnering with the Father and you rejoicing in the midst of the birthing. You know, this whole process of birthing is a grace process. And uh, you remember Hannah with uh, with her name meaning grace and bringing forth the birth of Samuel. You know, we've, we taught about that in the elemental days. And here Jesus gives this illustration of bringing forth a child 
and then, you know, you're going to have sorrow through that, but your heart's going to rejoice. So have that rejoicing now. Keep your eye on what's coming and make sure you, you bring that fragrance of rejoicing. Um, I think it can be said through the way we talk to ourselves, And we all do that. It's just don't answer yourself. Well, I've heard that, but I do answer myself. I do. <laughs> I, I have to say to myself, self, this is where we're going. Sometimes I rebuke myself. Isn't that right? Don't you ever do that? So um, I, I think that it's just an expression of rejoicing that we have to, that we have to continually offer unto God not in front of other people so they can see how holy you are, but, but just keep stirring that. And again, this is different. It's different from your partnership. It's different from your appreciation of what's happening. It's different from the prophetic insights. It's different from your declaration. Those things are carefully and meticulously spelled out. This is... You make your, the altar of your heart, you make the throne be the throne of grace in you. And you, you recognize that joy rules on that throne, that is Kara, and you make sure that the, the incense that's being offered all around you as you pray is one of rejoicing that is tied in with grace, that you let no other thing infiltrate because it is such a partnership with God. It is such a, a union with him. It is such a, uh, a, a being yoked together with him on behalf of what he's wanting to do from his throne of grace. I love that. The last verse passage we want to look at today was uh, another expression that was sung a few minutes ago. But it has to do with the teaching of Alleluia. And remember as we taught that, how that uh, uh, we, we did a teaching, I think there's even a book on Alleluia, and how Lucifer's uh, name was, um, was one that could bring forth the fullness of what God was wanting to have done. And how that when he fell, that then became... Uh, something that was always being battled over. And, but by the time you come to Revelation and they're having this recurrent expression of Alleluia, they're now saying that the kingdoms of this world are now again the kingdoms of our God and we can now reclaim this thing that the enemy used to do, but now it, it is fully and forevermore part of the kingdom again and so that's what this that's what this whole episode is and again it's a fuller teaching but in revelation 19 6 through 7 i heard as it were the voice of a great multitude and as the voice of many waters and as the voice of mighty thundering saying alleluia for the lord god omnipotent reigneth let us be glad that's our word cairo and rejoice the other word for uh, rejoicing, and give honor, that's doxa, glory, to him. 
For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife hath made herself ready. So here, even in heaven, you see the, the embracing of this expression of grace, this, this atmosphere of grace, this, this intoxicating influence where you drink and, and breathe in of the well of grace and let that permeate all that you are and use it as, as something to encourage. Use it as something to cajole yourself forward in, in the pathway. Use it as a remembrance. You can sing it. You can proclaim it. But again, it's different than your, the, the, the essential measure of you understanding grace or showing up to offer supplication in diversities of tongues and hearing God. It's different from you gleaning insight. It's different from the prophetic prosuke that you're declaring. It's different from the, the time where you uh, are giving thanksgiving, the Eucharistia. It's different from that. It's a different thing entirely, but it's of the same family, and it's rejoicing. There's nothing fake about it. It's not something that you do just to try to brighten your spirit. Oh, this will make you feel better. No, it's not. It's something that emanates from grace. It's something that is kind of like you put all these things. This is a bad illustration, but it's Thanksgiving weekend, so we can talk about food. Of course, it is 1230, so maybe I shouldn't talk about food. You put all these grace things in the pot, and the fragrance that comes from it kind of inspires and you recognize, oh man, Tammy's got something good on the stove. I can't wait to get in there. You can smell it. You can feel it. You know that it's coming. And it, it kind of stimulates you. And even though you may be hungry, you, you know that that expression is there. And, and you, 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 even though you call those things that be not as though they are, you, you know that you have what God has said grace is going to accomplish and that fragrance, that aroma of rejoicing is something that encourages you forward. You know, Gabriel began his conversation with Mary by saying that. Rejoice. That was his calling card. Rejoice. And then he talks about grace, and he talks about grace again. Rejoice. Maybe this is the key to the handmaidens in Joel 2 and Acts 2 on your servants and handmaids because she said, I'm a handmaiden of the Lord. Let it be unto me as this. Maybe if you were really, you're not just prophesying as powerful as that is. You're not just having visions and dreams as powerful as that is because there are people that are doing that. It's a gift from the Father. Everyone should be functioning in that. But when you're partnering with God, when you're a servant of grace, when you are there, the handmaiden or the servant of God, and you've committed yourself to that beck and call of grace, maybe that's what that measure is for the time of the end. Maybe it's people like you and hopefully me who are walking devotedly in grace as a partnership with God. God loves everybody. God loves everybody. I'm not saying one's better than another, but what I'm saying is that is what a walk of grace is. So we need this rejoicing. And and I I, I ask that God would let that let this word 
in this rhema moment stimulate that capacity within us and let us begin to see that power of rejoicing in a way like we've never seen it before. And as I said, this coming Wednesday on Wednesday Night Live, we're going to talk about some specific principles of this in the New Testament and how this was used regularly in formulas, in formulas. And um, I'm even going to give an assignment in this house. Now, I do want to tell you, I'm not trying to deceive you, I'm going to be in Europe by that time, but Scott and I, bless his faithful heart, are going to record this teaching video, at, and um, we needed to do it here in the sanctuary anyway, but it really is fitting. And so um, that teaching is going to come. I'm really excited about it. In fact, I thought I'd, I'd just go ahead and teach this today, but I do think that it's part of an assignment. And we need to get this, we need to get this right. We need to get this right because this, this is the ingredient. I don't want to say this too crassly, but this is a necessary ingredient, divinely inspired, something that's going to be happening in heaven that makes everything else complete. It's the glue that holds it all together. And we need it. And so I pray that God will help us to receive this scriptural capacity in a new way, in a powerful way. And I, I'm very, very grateful to the Lord. So I speak blessing upon all of you. And um, I, I, I just want to in-house say, Rick, we got a new camera person up there, right? We bless that. We've needed a mighty, a mighty cameraman. We bless you, brother. Hallelujah. Isn't that great? Everybody put your hand up there. Direct your hand. We bless you in Jesus' name. And we bless everybody else in Jesus' name. And we even bless Nancy, who's a veteran there on the camera. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this, this uh, continuing dialogue of grace that has been so vibrant throughout this year of grace. I'm so grateful to you, Father, for not only this people that you have called in, in this house and throughout the nations who are walking before your throne as one, I'm so grateful to be part of that company. But most of all, we're grateful that you have opened your heart of grace from where you're seated at the throne of grace and welcome us to partner with you in grace to accomplish that which has been ordained for this season, things that have never been released in the realm until now because of your timetable. Thank you for that. Help us. Release the spirit of grace to us in new ways. Lead us in this pathway of rejoicing. It's so necessary. Teach us. And let us be able to impart this to those that you lead us to. We thank you for it, Father. And we are so grateful, for we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.